0: To see you all, uh, get your uh, note sheet out. Turn in with me to Nehemiah chapter two, and uh, take some notes. So, if you're not in a small group and you're thinking about joining one, okay, we do sermon-based small groups. So, taking notes get you ready for your small group. Um, if you're new to Coastal, thank you for being here, and I want you to know it's not an accident that you're here this morning. If you're Been coming to Coastal for a long time. It's not an accident you're here either, right? God is sovereign, and uh, I just want you to know how much God loves you. He really, really does. Our our sin separates us from God, what we deserve, and I say this so often, I think it kind of can land on, on repetition, dead ears, but man, our sin deserves God's punishment, but God intervened by giving you and giving me His very, very best gift is one and only son, Jesus. And he bore God's wrath and hatred for sin. And by the way, that means our particular sins. And he pours that out on Jesus Christ instead of on us. Isn't that an amazing truth? And if you ever wonder how much God hates sin, we're to look at the broken, bloodied body of Jesus. Like crucifixion is horrific and it was probably it's probably one of the most horrible ways to die ever devised by man and uh, and yet that's what Christ suffered and it's a picture for us of how much god hates our sin and if the story ended there, it'd just be a martyr story. But then Jesus Christ stepped out of his own grave, uh, reminding us that he is exactly who He claimed to be, the Son of God, okay? And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says, if that is not true, you should go do something else this morning, okay? Don't waste your time, talent and treasure in a local church. But if it is true, it makes all the difference in the world, right? And uh, and so, uh, praise God for the God. We call them. If you're new to coastal, that's the, the word Gospel means good news. That's the good news, right? The bad news is your sin separates us from God. The good news is Christ reconciles us or gets us back in relationship with our Creator. And by the way, you're now here on the planet. You're left on the planet as a Christian. To, to make an impact God wants you to use your time talent and treasure to make an impact so that others may hear about this good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. amen and uh, so I'm really really grateful you're here. I want I'm really kind of starting and ending today uh, with two questions uh, that I want you to answer and, and the first one is this uh, as we go to Nehemiah 2, uh, the first question is what what's the biggest risk? You've ever taken, right? Like, what does that look like for you? Was it a business risk? You know, you took a risk and maybe in business and it did or it didn't work out, right? Maybe, maybe it was a financial risk. Like, you really gave, or maybe it was tied up in a business that you started. Uh, maybe it was an emotional risk. Maybe it was offering forgiveness to someone that had deeply wounded you, right? And there's kind of an emotional or, or uh, sp- even spiritual in that, a spiritual risk, or to the risk to love, right? When you love someone deeply, I mean, that's a risk because it, it may not be reciprocated. Uh, maybe it was a risk in your career. Uh, I, I don't know. Well, if you think about, it, like, what was the biggest risk that you've ever taken? Well, last week we looked at the story of Nehemiah, and um, and so he had he heard about the walls of Jerusalem. So if you remember your history, that. Uh, the nation of Israel was sent into exile because they had disobeyed God, but now God was promising to restore them, and he was using King Zerubbabel and several of the prophets, and the restoration isn't going quite as had been hoped, and Nehemiah hears about this, and God puts in his heart this desire to kind of restore the restoration, if you will, and kickstart it. And he hears about Jerusalem, and what he's really concerned about is the glory of God, the fame of God, not going forward. And last week we just talked about how it just hits him hard, and he mourns and he weeps and, and he fasts over what what is not happening for the fame and the glory of God. And I kind of ran that through the New Testament, and I talked when we began to pray. Uh, For lost people, right? Is there somebody in your life that doesn't know Christ that we just want to begin to pray for and, and have a heart to see the kingdom of God? And so, again, running Old Testament through new, the kingdom of God is one person at a time. Uh, in the hearts of people, uh, as they re- hear the gospel message, the good news of Jesus, and they repent of their sin and they reconnect with their Creator through Jesus Christ, and God uses them to make an impact. And and, and so we began to pray for people maybe that don't know the Lord, and and now it goes from prayer uh, to risk. Okay, so to chapter two is now Nehemiah begins to to put some feet. To, to to what he's been praying about, right? And, and so the first thing we see is kind of a reminder of what I just said, point number one this morning, is Nehemiah just has this continued passion for God's kingdom, okay? And, and, and Nehemiah is his passion is to restore Jerusalem and you're kind of a theme throughout this text is the building of walls. again, running this through the New Testament. Jesus is building something else, and we're to love what Jesus loves. What, is, what did Jesus say in Matthew 16? I will build my what? I'll build my church, right? And the gates of hell will not prevail against us. are so running it through the New Testament. We're to have a passion for the gospel of Christ through a local church. and So Nehemiah has a passion for God's kingdom. Look at this in verse 1 and 2. So he prayed, chapter 1, praying and fasting and weeping. And so now in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him. Remember, he's the cupbearer. He's the one that makes sure the king is not getting poisoned as he's eating, right? I took up the wine and I gave it to the king, and now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad? Seeing you're not sick, then he says, This is nothing but sadness of heart. So the king is astute enough to go, man, something's going on with my cupbearer. Now, I suspect, it doesn't quite say this in the text, but I, I suspect that over the years, when you're protecting the king and protecting his life, my suspicion is they begin to develop a relationship. There's a trust there. Right? You, don't, you don't have a cupbearer with someone you don't know, right? You don't don't trust. There's a trust there, and, and maybe even some ways a, a friendship. And, and so the king is astute. Have to go, wait, something's really going on with you, right? What's going on? And so, and so what's really going on, letter A, is that Nehemiah has this deep desire to see God glorified. There's, God made a promise, it's not happening, and I, I want to see God's name lifted up. And by the way, this sadness of heart, if you remember, and this text actually gives us some dates, right? We hear in this chapter what month it is, and and we know that. It's really four months since Nehemiah heard from his, his relatives that came back from Jerusalem, things aren't going so great. It's been four months of praying and fasting and, and weeping. And for the first time in, his, in the king's presence, right, he, he, he's so troubled by this that he can't keep his countenance up at work, right? And so the king's like, what's going on? And by the way, this, this gets back oh, Christian, for why you're on the planet, okay? Why doesn't, when you become a Christian, God doesn't take you to glory? Because you are now here to exalt the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are here on purpose. You have a job to do. You are here to use your time and your talent and your treasure to exalt the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even in the difficult times, we, God uses that to make Jesus famous. The second thing I want you to see here, and one of the ways that we know God is moving is that the king takes notice. And I think this is important because letter B, when God is moving, others get involved. When God is moving, others get involved. The king here gets involved. Hey, what's going on? And we're going to see in just a minute, like Nehemiah takes this as like, this is the moment I've been praying for. Um, I think that when you're, and this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but maybe not, like when you're determining the will of God for your life, uh, especially if, and I asked the question, what's the biggest risk you've ever taken? If there's risk involved, there should be others involved. Yes, I see a lot of people take make really huge life decisions and never bring others on the journey. You ready? I get really, really nervous when someone's making a massive life decision, who you're going to marry, in, leaving a, a good job to step out and risk, you know, whatever, whatever the big risk that you've taken. And I get really nervous when someone says, hey, I'm doing this and God told me. Oh, well then, if God told you, no one can ask any questions, right? There's always community around what the Lord is doing. In fact, uh, there really isn't a picture in the New Testament of Lone Ranger Christians. Even even the disciples were sent out in twos, right? Jesus sent the disciples out in twos. Uh, uh, when we're starting churches, we just went through Titus, right? When Paul is starting churches on the island of Crete, he said, I want a group, a plurality of elders, right? There's the family of God. Uh, I've seen lots and lots of bad decisions made by Christians when they're made in a vacuum. yes. And so if you're getting ready to make a big decision, young people, if you're thinking about getting engaged and getting married, like, like bring in some godly people into that decision. Bring in your parents, like your parents, believe it or not, really do love you and really want the best for you, right? And and so like when you're making those big decisions, bring in some people and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this, Like, like ask some questions, give me some feedback, you know, let's make sure we're we're doing this in wise counsel. And so here God brings in by God's grace to Nehemiah, the most powerful man on the planet at the time. He brings in the king of Persia. And Artaxerxes is like, what's going on, Nehemiah? Right? And so now, number two, we, we see Nehemiah take a risk. And it's it's something he's been praying for, he's been weeping, he's been fasting. And point number two, now he has to have courage in trusting God's power. And so what I want you to hear this morning is we're not to just in life take willy-nilly risks, but we are to take risks on the word of God. When God says he's going to do it, then we can take risks and he shows up and he fulfills his word and his promises, right? And so letter A, we see this, that he takes a risk and a prayer. He does both at the same time. And I really, really love this passage. Check this out. Nehemiah two two to four. So the king says a thing like, you know, hey, I can tell like something's off, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah then at the end of verse two he says, then I was very much afraid because you're not to be uh, have a, a a sad countenance in the presence of the king. Right, the king's got enough stresses. He don't need his cupbearer telling him he had a fight with his wife that day. Like, you know, he's got enough going on. So it was a, it was a risk to be sad in his presence, right? And so he, he, but and, but now, and he's probably afraid because he's about to make an ask of the king. So here it is, verse three. And then I said to the king, let the king live forever. I guess that's a common thing to say. Like, you're great. We hope you live forever that'd be great. We should do that. That should be our new address in America. Hey, I hope you live forever. Uh, But I got a question, okay? Let the king live forever. Why Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? By the way, Ezra 4, it's Artaxerxes who said, stop building. So he's approaching the king that he knows put a stop to what he cares about. Verse four, then the king said to me, what are you requesting? <laughs> How about that, right? He risked, he said, here's what it is. And the king goes, what is it that you want? And so I prayed to the God of heaven. So I love this, right? Like prayer, fasting, risk, God, what? and then the moment arrives and, and Nehemiah still is in prayer. Now this isn't like, hey, king, give me a minute. I'm going to go to my prayer cause and I'm going to pray. This is one of those you know, kind of quickies, like, here we go, God. You better show up, you know. And, and, and so here he's, he's got, he risks with emotions. He risks what he's about to tell the king. He's risking his employment, church. He's risking safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. We talked about that last week. Like, what an incredible job this is to be the cupbearer. Incredible in that culture. He's risking everything. Okay, you ready? Last week, I asked you guys to pray. Let's start praying. Let's start praying. Let's start praying. Let's pray for some people that that to our knowledge don't yet know Jesus. And I want to ask you, what kind of risk do you need to take for the kingdom of God? What kind of prayer are you praying that also requires you to step out and risk like are you prepared to share your faith with a loved one? Uh, the, pers- the people that we listed last week that you're praying for, are you prepared? God, I'm not, I'm not just praying, yes, I want them to be saved, but I, I'm praying that maybe you'll use me. God, are you willing, risking, opening your mouth? And say, God, I, I want to I share my faith about Jesus Christ with them. I want to be the conduit. I can tell you right now, and I've had this happen many, many, many times here at Coastal Church. After a service, someone will come up to me and say, hey, pastor, will you pray for me? I have a loved one that's dying of cancer and when you do that when you so this, this will probably cut down on these prayer requests okay so so when you do that i will look at you and i will ask you are they a christian and if you respond no then i'm going to say what a gift you have you need to go over there and share the gospel with your loved one like today right and and, and so like i said i'll probably cut down on the prayer request cuz that's what i'm going to say to you and that's what we're going to pray about Because here's the deal, you ready? When you come to me and ask for prayer, like I'm praying for healing, but the deal is none of us gets out of this thing alive. Like there's something way more important going on here than life or death, it's eternity. And we are here to share the gospel and we need to risk to share the gospel. And so I want your prayers to pivot this week. Yes, you're praying for them, but now you're praying for you. God, give me courage and boldness to be prepared to talk about Jesus with them. Some of you need to risk to repair a relationship that's been broken for years. And you've been praying about it, and you've been grieving it, and you've been mourning it. Some of you need to risk to even allow a relationship that's wounded you with appropriate boundaries, but allow them back into your life and offer forgiveness Those are risks. Some of you need to risk to get involved in this church. You've been attending, and you came from another church, and you're quite frankly, you're nursing church hurt. Well, my last church hurt me. Listen, there's three great doctrines of the Scripture. There's the doctrine of justification. When we become a Christian, when we repent of our sins, when we believe in Jesus, the Bible says we're declared righteous. That's the doctrine of justification. And at that moment, we're saved and our eternity is secure. But then there's the second doctrine, the doctrine of sanctification, that we're growing in holiness and righteousness as we follow Jesus. That means no one's perfect, which means any church you go to is still full of, yes, justified sinners, that are still growing in holiness and righteousness. So guess what? We're all going to hurt one another as sinners. And God gives us an incredible mechanism when our feelings get hurt. It's called go out to coffee and talk about it one-on-one with the person that hurt you. Isn't that a great mechanism? That's a risky mechanism, isn't it? And a lot of us don't take the kingdom risk to get healed so that we can see God work. All right, and then Nehemiah offers this great prayer, which we've already, t- already talked about. God, here it goes. And then letter be. courage and favor. He says, God, and so af- after he risks and he steps out, he steps out in courage and he sees God's favor. Check this out in verses five through eight. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, and I love this, right? By the way, have you ever had, uh, if you're any of you that manage people, have you ever had an employee that's so great that you're like, if they go away for any, if they take more than a one-week vacation, I am in trouble, right? Anyone had an employee that great? Some of you are like, not really. Okay, one. One person's like, yeah, one. Uh, so I really think that's Nehemiah with King Artaxerxes, right? I think he's a great employee. I think King knows how good he has it, right? And so this is what he asked him. Says, so the king says to me, the queen's sitting beside him, uh, how long will you be gone and when will you return, right? You get a one-week vacation. That's it. And so it, so it pleased the king to send me when I had given him time. the time. And I said to the king, listen, this gets even better. I said to the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. In other words, I need your protection Make sure you send me with some military help and some letters, verse 8, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. In other words, I need you to get me a letter to the guy who gets all your wood and timber because I need it to build the wall, the temple, and to build my house where I'm going to live in my old city. That is a gutsy ask, right? And sometimes, now we all know this verse in the Bible, you have not because you ask not. And we think about that's just to the Lord, and that is true. But sometimes we're not asking other people for enough. Yes? Listen, if you've been coming to Coastal for any length of time, you know I am not ashamed to ask for financial resources for the good of the gospel. And listen, the reason I'm not ashamed to ask for it is because I don't think as you give it, you're going to stand before God one day and regret it. Amen? I know it got real silent in here. Like, is he about to ask again? (laughs) You ready? Yes, I am. Okay. (laughs) Yes, I am. Because I think that sometimes we don't ask enough. And by the way, when you give, what does God promise? I'm going to supply all of your need according to my riches in where? In glory, if you know the Philippians passage, right? And so God is going to provide for you as well. And so guess what? Nehemiah makes an incredible ask. And the king, back to verse 8, the king granted me what I asked. Why? Why? Why, church? What's it say? For the what? Let's read it together. For the good hand of my God was upon me. We don't worship a chintzy God. Amen? We don't worship a God that gets cheap on us. Our God, according to the book of Romans, has already given us his best gift. If he's given you his best gift, he's not going to hold out on other things that we ask for when we need them. And Nehemiah is specific in his ask and, and God uses King Artaxerxes to, to see uh, to, to, for the favor of God to rest upon Nehemiah. And he gives him what he asks. I need, the, I, need the, I need the military to escort me through. I need the timber to build the walls, the temple and my own house. And Artaxerxes is like, you got it." Isn't that amazing? And by the way, um, if you're sitting in a, in a position in life where God is blessing you and you're seeing success, maybe in a business or your kids are thriving or whatever, whatever's going on in you, that you see the hand of the Lord in blessing, it, it's really, really, the, one of the great temptations of, of blessing is we somehow think we're doing it ourselves. Amen? We, we begin to rob God of credit. We're like credit people. Who gets the most credit when things are going well? I love Psalm 127. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. You're wasting your time. Let's be really, really cautious. In fact, I don't know if it's a small group question this week. and I haven't seen the small group questions yet this week. Um, But maybe one of the small group questions you small group leaders should be asking is, where in your life are you seeing the good hand of God? right, and give thanks. It's part of the reason we sing praise songs, right, as we thank the Lord for His good hand upon us. Finally, let us see. When when you see God working, you can expect resistance. When you see God working, expect resistance. Verse 9 and 10. So, He gets granted the king's good hand. God's upon Him. He says, I came to the governors of the province beyond the river. I gave them the king's letters. In other words, He's coming in the name of the king. And now the king had sent with me my officers of the army and horsemen. So in other words, he gave him the army to go with him. And then a guy by the name of Sanballat. Now you're going to see Sanballat's name throughout this next couple weeks. The Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite, the servant heard this, and it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Church, when, by God's grace, you start Making a kingdom dent, there will be enemies. Yes, Jesus said, in this, "In this world, you're going to have troubles. If it weren't so, I would have told you why is it? Because there's real, real enemies. Now, when we run these texts through the New Testament, right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, Ephesians six. That's not our wrestle. Which our wrestle? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Three things, right?" The world is kind of the influences that keep us thinking, give us a non-Christian or unbiblical worldview. That's the influences of the world. The flesh is our sin nature that's with us and that lost people are dead in their sins and and Christians, while alive to Christ, still wrestle with their sin, right? It still has influence. Sin has influence, but not in dominion anymore in the life of a Christian, but it's still there, right? And the devil who wants to do everything anti-God. Okay, you ready? Our enemies do not want to see people saved and transformed by the gospel. Like, there are enemies saying, I don't want to see this happen. By the way, one of the things on the weeks that we do baptisms here on Sunday morning at Yorktown, what do I do? I always end those services saying, pray for the people that were baptized this week. Why? Why? Because once you make a kingdom dent, there are real enemies. It's coming after them. They just stood up and professed Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. You think the enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, want to see that happen? Anybody? The answer is no. No. The enemy doesn't want to see marriages restored. The enemy doesn't want to see thriving Christian families the enemy doesn't want to see babies protected. The enemy doesn't want to see our culture freed from sexual sin. Listen, when you start, when when, when, the, when the kingdom's going forward, there are real enemies. Of course, Sanballat's gonna stand up and go, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm real comfortable here with the nation of Israel not thriving. Listen, the world doesn't want to see... Christ, real, genuine Christianity thrive, and so we shouldn't be surprised when there's real enemies. Which leads to the third thing, right? We have to be strategic when we're working for the kingdom of God. We th- so, lots of prayer, lots of prayer. But then there's organization, right? God Serving God is not a, opposed to organization, which is point number three, right? There's a strategy for God's work. God God cares about the details, Listen, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to embarrass anybody or leave anybody out, but um, part of w- what we're seeing uh, happen at Coastal is God has blessed this church with some people that are extremely organized. They're they're great at thinking through processes and procedures and details. That That is not my strength, okay? And, and God has blessed this church with ha- how do we organize so that it is... We, as individuals, we give our time, talent, and treasure that can be multiplied like loaves and fishes to make a dent for the kingdom of God. And and Nehemiah is careful. And so in verses 11 to 16, I'm not going to read all those, okay? But basically what he does is he gets up in the middle of the night and he he's now in Jerusalem and he rides in the middle of the night around the walls of Jerusalem, just surveys the damage, if you will. And he, he begins to plan in his heart and mind, like, how are we going to do this? And he he develops a plan. It's really interesting, actually. He doesn't even tell everybody the fullness of his plans, which is important, right? Because those of you who lead things, you know that sometimes you don't say everything all at once, right? He withholds some information, knowing like I don't want to probably I don't want to overwhelm them at the size of the task, right? So we're gonna we're gonna take this one step at a time. And so, letter A, like we see in chapters eleven, verses eleven through sixteen, that God cares about the details. Yes, we pray. Yes, we risk. And yes, we organize. And then, and then Nehemiah, no, let her be here. gathers the people around the, the the people of Israel. Now, and he and we talked about this last week. He defines reality for them. Right, we have to rebuild this wall. And so the officials, verse sixteen and seventeen. And so he takes a couple nights, rides around the walls, comes up with a plan, sees it by himself prays about it again. And then he says in verse 16, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. I had not yet told the Jews and the priests and the nobles and the officials and the rest who were, who were to do the work. In other words, there's some information I have, but I didn't tell everybody yet. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. In other words, man, we're suffering here because we haven't accomplished what God called us to do, right? And so the walls need to be built so that we can no longer be vulnerable. But he knows in his heart... Nehemiah, what could be for the nation. Hey, this is what could be. Listen, I feel like, I feel like Christians in our culture right now are like losing hope. Like, man, the culture is like so against us. I I, I gotta tell you, in some ways, I've never been more excited about the church in America. I really mean that. Because, because, there, nobody comes to church, a Bible-believing church anymore just to make business contacts. There's like, there's no loosey-goosey Christianity. You're either in or you're out, right? The culture's like, you guys are like crazy. Or I choose to believe rather than being crazy. We're a city on a hill. We're a light that's not to be put under a bushel. Like it might get, more difficult out there to be a Christian, but I think the gospel and Christianity is gonna shine brighter. Because as the culture gets less and less Christian and more and more engaged in its sin, guess what? It's not gonna find life, it's gonna find chains and bondage and darkness and death. And we're gonna be the city on a hill going, listen, we've got your hope, it is Jesus, and Jesus will set you free, amen? And I just wanna keep pointing you to that. Like, God has left us here to make this din, and as the culture gets darker, praise God, because Christianity is going to shine all the brighter. And, I, I, and I'm a pessimist, guys. So, like, it's amazing for me to, it's a God thing for me to have so much hope. And so, I just believe, man, that the gospel's going to shine brighter. And that's what, uh, Nehemiah's doing, listen, we're suffering derision, but man, we're, God's about to do some God things and it's going to be awesome. And, and I really, really believe this as the culture gets harder on us as Christians, we are going to see more Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego opportunities. Amen. Some of you are like, oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay. Read Daniel three. All right. And like, I just think there's going to be, there's opportunities. And in those opportunities, God's going to, as we take biblical risks, God's going to show up and show out and show off. Amen? And people are going, man, you got something different. And then Nehemiah does something we all should be doing. I'm kind of hit on this twice already. He testifies to the goodness of God. Hey, guys, we're going we're gonna to do this thing. God's with us. Verse 18, and I told them of the hand of my God. That had been upon me for good. What did he tell them? What was he telling them? I prayed. I fasted. I went to Artaxerxes and I asked for a lot and he gave it all to me. God was with us. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me and they said, let us rise up and build, man. They're fired up because God is with them. Let's rise up and build so they strengthen their hand for the good work. And Nehemiah reminds them of the good hand of God one of the things that we do, I I wish I could bottle it for you guys. There'd be too many people and there's no way I could do it. But the first Tuesday of every month, right here at Yorktown, we bring all the staff from all the campuses together. And uh, we do praise and worship. And so it's all of our worship leaders from all our campuses leading worship The talent's amazing, okay? Like you just leave going, wow, they can, they're incredible, you know, and we do some praise and worship. And then we take about 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, and we just go around the room and say, where are you seeing the hand of God? And you're just hearing these praise reports, and it's amazing. I want to give you one. I want to give you one this morning. I just want to celebrate the good hand of God. Our first week, our second week in Williamsburg, uh, William and Mary had started and a college student showed up. Okay. One college student. There may have been others, but the one in the story. They took public transportation. They were trying, it was a freshman at William and Mary. They were trying to get to another church. I don't even know which one. They got off at the wrong stop and they ended up at Coastal Church Williamsburg at second week. They got there so early. This it was a young lady, she got there so early, she had to do setup and tear down. They just got, put her to work. Like, hey, let's go. We're gonna set up chairs and Great that you're here. Made you feel welcome, and um, and so afterwards they were talking to her, and she said, you know, if we could if we could run a bus to William and Mary, I really I think I can get a lot of college students to come, and uh, so Pastor Colin up there and Pastor Hunter. They were And some of the leaders up there were talking, and he, they were like, there's no money in the budget for a bus. Uh, we were hoping to maybe do that in 2024 or 2025, but there's no money this year for the bus. However, uh, the, the school that they're renting has a bus that we've been eyeballing. They were selling it for $7,000. And one of our church members walked by and said, uh, how much How much for that bus? And they said $7,000. And he said, I've, person said, I've been saving for my personal vehicle, but I want to see college kids here. And you donated know, seven thousand dollars to give us a bus. And last week, there were fifty William and Mary students at that campus. Okay, fifty. I don't know how many came on the bus. Okay, that I don't know. I don't know how they they got there. And and there's just a lot going on there. Like uh, you guys support a missionary. Matt Kerr with FCA he's had a huge influence on the way the matter campus right that's been part of the students coming and 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 he's been investing for years up there with the athletes and and now they're starting to come to our campus like all of, the good hand of God is just all over the place as we're serving the Lord and uh, and so I wanted to and by the way this is a side note here's what I want you to do if you're in a small if you're a small group leader okay here's what I want you to do this is what I've been doing for years. Uh, During your prayer request time of your small groups, I want you to write them all down. And then your last week, week eight, okay? I want you to read through the list and see how many God has answered. A lot of times we forget to go back and go, wow, and and celebrate the good hand of God because he is working, right? And then so ultimately, let's go to point four. I'm out of time here. I got the red numbers up, which means I'm in trouble. Okay, so um, ultimately, point number four, this brings glory to God's name. Like, ultimately, we're here to praise and worship our God. We are here to exalt the name of God. In verse 20, Nehemiah says, Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. He's talking to the enemies that he's that have been threatening what God's about to do. Listen, God's going to accomplish his word. Okay? Let me say that again. I need all your eyeballs. I want all your eyes. This is very, very important one I'm about to say. God is going to accomplish His Word. Amen? God is going to do what God said he, was, he will do. So what does that mean? We're not running to Jerusalem and building walls around the walls of Jerusalem. Let's run this thing through the New Testament. What is it that God has promised to do? Christ, our King, has given us, church, his marching orders. And I would like to think that he's with us in what he has called us to do. I would like to think that we will be successful in the marching orders that he's given us. Yes? And so here they are. Ready? Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to them, this is after his resurrection, he's gathered up his disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them. By the way, this is why we preach the Bible at Coastal, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always until the end of the age." Some of us have been sitting here in our church going, man, I sure, hope this, I sure hope this is successful. Are you ready? The Great Commission will be successful. And how do I know that? How can I be so sure? Because when I read Revelation 5 and Revelation 7, we get a little glimpse into the heaven, uh, heavenly future, and guess what's sitting at the throne of God? Every tribe, every tongue, every nation. It will be successful. It's a matter of do we want to be a part of it or not? It's a matter of man, God, I'm here to give my time, talent, treasure to be a part of exalting the gospel of Jesus Christ and taking the name and fame of Jesus Christ to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Yes, they will, there will be enemies, but the enemies will not be successful. Jesus said, Matthew 16, upon this rock, and what is the rock? It was the confession of Peter. When Jesus asked, what are people saying tonight? And Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not, pre- pre- will not stand against it. Amen, church. Nehemiah built a wall, but we're a part of building Christ's church and it will be successful. And I wanna be a part of it. And I hope you do too. Man, they, there are people that need to hear the gospel, and we get to be a part of it. And so let me ask you this. I, I'm, I've kind of run out of time here. I don't know if I'm going to do all this that I want to do. Um, what What does normal Christianity look like? I am going to do it. I was thinking about this this week, and I was reading through Luke chapter 7. And in Luke chapter 7, there's a Pharisee named Simon that's having a party, and he invites Jesus. And somehow in the community, it got out that Jesus was showing up at Simon's house, and there's this woman, probably a prostitute, that had repented of her sins and came to Jesus. And she finds out that Jesus is at Simon's party. And she shows up with this alabaster flask of perfume. Most commentators believe it's, it was worth about a year's wages. So here's the really good news. Okay. I'm not going to ask you for a year's wages. Okay. Not in one shot. Okay. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> she shows up with a year's wages of a gift. And in front of all the religious people in the community, she shows up the party She bows down. She breaks the perfume on the feet of Jesus. She wipes his feet with her tears and her hair and the perfume. And she worships the Lord, risking her dignity, risking her finances, all to be at the feet of Christ. And Simon is sitting there scoffing, man. Jesus knew what kind of person this was. And so Jesus, of course, tells the story, right? There's a bank lender. it lends out 50, one person 500, one person 50. Neither can repay the denarii. He forgives both. Which would love more, Simon, right? And Simon's so like, well, the one that was forgiven 500. And he goes, well, Simon, I came in your house. You didn't. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't give me the normal greeting. But man, she has not stopped kissing and wiping my feet. She's the one who's been forgiven much. Those who forgive much, love much. Here's the deal. To be a Christian, all of us are supposed to be going, I'm the one who's been forgiven much. All of us. And so what does normal Christianity look like? Right? I think for too many of us, it looks like Simon, the Pharisee, the religious people, like Christianity is a checkbox. I maybe do one more, one or two more little things than what my lost neighbors do. I may give a few bucks and I show up a couple times, a couple more things on my calendar, but I'm really not a whole lot of difference between me and my neighbor. And I think real Christianity is saying, man, I'm all in I'm following after the things of God. I'm risking. I got this brief time called life. That by God's grace, He might use me for His glory. And I want to encourage this. I think normal Christianity is living in such a way that God gets the greatest glory out of every area of our life. So, let me give you a couple practical examples. on close with prayer. It's been a tough day of work, you come home, you're exhausted and your husband or your wife or your kids are getting on your nerves. You ever been there? What in that moment gives God the greatest glory? Patience, kindness, or impatience? Gaming. You get in the slowest checkout lane at the worst possible time on your schedule. What about your attitude in that moment gives God the greatest glory? You're single and you're out on a date and you end up alone in a house or in an apartment or in a room. You have a choice to make. What brings God in this moment the greatest glory? You're working with someone of the opposite sex, and the conversation turns flirtatious. What in this moment brings God the greatest glory? Your finances. Here we go. Church is always asking for money. I said, church don't need your money. God don't need your money. Every dime that comes into your household is yours to do with as you please, and you will stand before God and you will give an account, not me. But what brings God the greatest glory? Is there an area of your life right now that looks too much like normal American and needs to look a whole lot more like normal Christianity so that we bring God in all that we do greatest glory. Amen, church? Let's risk on the Word of God. And by the way, when we do that, He doesn't leave us hanging. He shows up and He meets us according to His Word. Why? Because God's good hand is with us. Amen, church? Let's close with prayer. Father, thank You for Your Word. God, I don't... I can fall in this trap. Just normal Christianity looks like normal everybody else. God, may we we risk our time. Give give a little more time to the things of the Lord to serving others and our talent, God. You've given everybody in this room some abilities that can be used for the gospel and our treasure, God. I really don't think we're going to give more of our time, talent, and treasure to stand before you one day and have any regrets in that moment. And I really believe, God, that your good hand is with us. And since your good hand is with us, God, we can pause and we can say, thank you. We uh, offer sincere gratitude for your good hand of God being with us as we give you great glory. And it's in Jesus' most precious name I pray.